0: Well, good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. It's always a good morning when we remember the Lord Jesus yes. and when we meet together like this. Amen. You know, Anne and I would, uh, would just like to, to, to really thank you all for all your kindness and all your care and all your love. Christian love and hospitality that we have enjoyed in, in this visit. Um, it, it's a strange thing that, you know, when we're at home, we have our eldest son there and we have our grandchildren there, two little, a boy and a girl. And when we're at home, we, we want to stay at home. But when we come here, we want to stay here. We, it's a very, very difficult thing to kind of, you know, combine combine the two. But, you know, I do want to say without being... Patronising in any way, that you know, I do always feel every time that we come that you have something special here as a church. Um, it's not just a, it's not just a, uh, it's not just a, a club or, or or a lodge or a society. Um, it's not even a business. You know the. I I, I envy churches that have large numbers in a way, but what saddens my heart is that many of these mega churches have become a business. And everybody gets paid. The preacher gets paid, and the musicians get paid, and the cameraman gets paid, and everybody gets, and it has become a business. And I, I don't think that that was ever God's mind for his church. God's mind for his church is that it should be. A simple place for a simple people. And I think that's what you have and we have here and I thank God for that because this is a family. And I'm happy that Anne and I have been adopted, if you like, into that into that happy family that belong to the Lord Jesus. And you know, people are are concerned in these days because these are days of war and these are days of uh, violence. And in your short lifetime and mine, we have seen more change in our society than ever we have seen in all the years that have gone before. Something has happened in these last number of years that has just been... We wouldn't have believed it just a couple of years ago. And so people are asking me, is there going to be a third world war? Is there going to be, what, what does the future hold? And so it has been laid upon my heart, I feel, this morning to speak about this lovely subject of the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a word of encouragement today. It's a word to, to warm our hearts, to not be afraid. I don't believe that. If there is World War Three, I don't believe that we're going to be here. Because I believe the Lord is coming. And I believe He's coming soon. And every one of us, our hearts today, would respond and say, even so come, Lord Jesus. So that's upon my heart this morning a word of encouragement and help and comfort for us all. So Shall we read the Scriptures together and see what the Bible says about these things? The first reading is in the Gospel by John and chapter 14, if you have a Bible. If not, I will read it to you very, very carefully. The Gospel by John and in chapter 14. And here the Lord Jesus is the speaker at verse 1. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And then we're going to look at a verse in the first book of Corinthians, the first book of Corinthians chapter 15 and reading at verse number 51. First Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Behold, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible <clears throat> must put on incorruptibility, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this, corruption, this corruptibility shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory o death where is thy sting o grave where is thy victory and then lastly in the Fourth chapter of the book to the Thessalonians <clears throat> first Thessalonians <clears throat> and in chapter Four and reading <clears throat> reading at verse number thirteen, but I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning them which have fallen asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself with these words. So we do look to the Lord to bless the reading of these lovely Scriptures to all of our hearts. Um, It's been my exercise that I know that we all believe these things, that the Lord Jesus is coming back again, and I know that we believe it in our heads. But I'm convinced that with the pace of modern living, and the demands of everyday life and our jobs and our families and the worries of finance and all the rest. I'm convinced a wee bit that what we believe in our hearts, what we believe in our heads, there is a possibility that we have failed to really grasp it the way we should in our hearts. That the Lord Jesus is really, really, quickly, suddenly coming back again to the world For his own. And some of these mornings, or some of these evenings, let us raise in our anticipation of this this morning. On just a very ordinary day. On just a very ordinary evening. When some of us are in Starbucks. Or when some of us are in our bed asleep. Or in some of us are about our tasks in school or at work or wherever. In just an ordinary day, the Lord Jesus is coming back again. How do we know He's coming back again? We read His promise from First Thessalonians and from John chapter 14. He said, "If I go away, I will come back again." Did He go away? Yes, He did. Will He come back again? Yes, He will. How do we know? Because He promised it in His holy Word. And the very last promise that we have in all of our Bible is the promise of the Lord Jesus in Revelation 22 when He said, Behold, I come quickly. So these are what we want to, we want to raise again the anticipation and the hope because the Bible calls it a hope that he that shall come will come and he will not tarry. And I have five little words this morning that I hope that you will keep in your mind and in your heart that will revive this truth and encourage you day by day that Jesus is coming again. The first little word, and you know the strange thing is, it's not a Bible word at all. But it's a word that we have used for years to describe His coming because we know that He's going to come to earth to set up His kingdom. But before He comes to earth to set up His kingdom... We believe from these verses that we have read that He's coming to the air to receive from the world His own. And the first word that we have used to describe that first aspect of His coming is the word rapture. The rapture. The rapture of the saints. What does the rapture mean? It simply means a snatching away A taking up from the world to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The rapture, the coming again of the Lord Jesus to the air. How will that happen? How will the rapture happen? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the trumpet shall sound somebody said to me, is it a literal trumpet? Well, the Bible says the trumpet shall sound. And I believe, brothers and sisters, some of these ordinary mornings, some of these ordinary evenings, the last sound that we will ever hear on earth will not be the atomic bomb or the nuclear bomb of Mr. Putin. But the last sound that we will ever hear will be the note of the trumpet, because the trumpet shall sound. And the strange thing is, only the Christians will hear it. The ungodly will not hear a thing it will mean nothing to the ear of the unsaved or the unsaved of the unconverted. They'll not hear a thing. But to that tuned ear of those believers who have put their trust in Christ, the last sound on earth we shall ever hear will be the sound of the trumpet and His voice come up hither. And I like to think you know that not only... Not only will it be the last sound on earth, but you know the first sound in heaven. What will be the first sound in heaven? The first sound in heaven will be the singing. The singing of the everlasting song. We've heard lovely singing this morning. We love to enjoy our singing down here on earth. But to hear the trumpet on earth and then to hear the sound of the everlasting song in heaven. Oh, brothers and sisters, What happy anticipation should be ours today. You see, I know no greater comfort. I know no greater comfort in this. That the Bible says we shall not all sleep. 1 Corinthians 15. We shall not all sleep. Somebody says, surely... Surely you shouldn't be afraid of death. see, I, I'm indebted to one of the preachers back home. I heard him speaking one time about these, this kind of subject. And he, he quoted that verse from Hebrews chapter 2 about the Lord Jesus, where it says, He through death, destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and listened to it, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So I don't think it's an an unnatural thing not to want to die. I hope the Lord comes before we all die. But this man said, The Lord took away the fear of death by his death. But here's what he said He said, He never took away the fear of dying. He never took away the fear of dying. There's something about that, isn't there? The finality of that, the awfulness of that, the consequences, the final consequences of sin in this life down here, the fear of dying. And I'm not going to worry about that because I think the Lord's coming. I think I've told you before, I was brought up in a little village in Ireland, just about 3,000 of a population. It had one square and four streets, left and right, and up and down. And I lived in one of those streets. And I was only maybe six or seven. <clears throat> maybe six or seven years of age. And I remember it clearly. I can see it in my mind's eye now, just as if it happened just yesterday. I was running from one side of the street to the other. And all of a sudden as I ran, there was a screech of brakes. And a car stopped inches from my little legs. And a man that I knew was driving that car. And you know, I remember it yet. I remember him putting down the window of the car, rolling down the window, and here's what he shouted out to me. He said, Do you want to die young? I didn't laugh. (laughs) I said, No, sir, I don't want to die young. But why I'm telling you that story is, I'm going to tell you this. See, I don't want to die old either. (laughs) No, no. Listen, death hasn't become any more attractive. And that's why, that's why, brothers and sisters, that's why this is such a lovely word of comfort. We shall not all sleep because we believe that He is coming. And that he is coming soon. And that he is coming quickly. And we sing a hymn at home sometimes that epitomizes these, these hopes. It says, I can almost hear his footfall on the threshold of the door. And my heart, my heart is longing to be with him evermore. Oh, thank God today that we believe with all our hearts. That Jesus is coming again. Rapture. Rapture. The second word that I want you to try and remember is the word reunion. 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 Do you ever think that the most of people that are going to heaven are already there? From the centuries before the cross, because of the death of Christ and anticipation, to the centuries after the cross right up to the present time, all who have trusted Jesus and the saving power and are washed in the blood of the Lamb are already in heaven, the most of them, and only a few of us remain. And brothers and sisters, This is going to be at the rapture, a day of reunion, happy thought. When those that we have loved and those that we have led away in Mother Earth, there's going to be that day, that lovely day of reunion. And I tell you with all my heart today, I would love to see the old folks again. I would love to see a father still again that prayed for me when I was a wayward boy. And I would love to see a mother that prayed for me on her knee from my earliest days of youth, those days of reunion. But best of all, we'll see the Savior. Best of all, we'll see Him who died for us on Calvary's cross. The old hymn says, How shall I then know thee amid those hosts above? What tokens true will show me the objects of my love? Thy wounds. Thy wounds, Lord Jesus, those deep, deep wounds will will tell the victory that saved me from sin and death and hell. Folks, it'll be lovely to see the folks, but best of all to see him. To see him face to face, the one who died for us on Calvary's cross. And then we'll meet those women that wrote the hymns that our brother reminded us of this morning. You know that Fanny Crosby was blind from she was just six weeks old. And somebody asked her about that and said, did she regret that? And, you know, Fanny Crosby said, no, 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 she said, because whenever my eyes are open, she says, the first face i see is the blessed Savior. He died for me on Calvary's cross. Hey, what a sight that will be. And, you know, I want to see another woman, another dear sister, I doubt if you've ever, ever heard of Eliza Hewitt. Eliza Edmonds Hewitt. Eliza Hewitt was from Pennsylvania here in the United States. Eliza was a school teacher. But one day she was hit on the back with a slab of of tile, a, 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 a slate hit her in the back and She became an invalid and was confined to home. Couldn't teach anymore. Couldn't go to the church anymore. But she had a great interest in children. And she wrote a little children's hymn. And the chorus of it is this. It says, I need no other argument. I seek no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. She wrote that as a little children's poem to help the children. And then in due time it became a hymn. Someone, William James Kirkpatrick, put a tune to it and it became a lovely hymn that we still sing at home. And you know what I'm going to say to Eliza? Eliza, whenever you wrote that little poem for the children, you never ever thought that away in the north of Ireland... My father would sing that hymn one night at the end of a gospel meeting. And as he thought about those words, it is enough. I'm going to thank her that she ever wrote it because my father said it is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me and was converted to Christ as a boy of 16. Thank you, Eliza, for writing that hymn. And then we'll meet the man that wrote the Bible. Reunion. I must tell me last night, or through the week, that last week I said the the 66 verses of the Bible. That's when your wife's in the meeting, she can always tell you all the mistakes that you make. I meant to say the 66 books of the Bible. And we'll meet all these great men. And Malachi will say, How did you enjoy my book? <laughs> eh? And Ezekiel will say, what do you think of my book? <laughs> what a thing it will be to have those lovely times of reunion with all the saints. But then another word is reception. Reception. You see, First Corinthians, First Timothy, First Thessalonians, fourteen says, "I will come again and receive you. I receive you unto myself." He's not going to. He's not going to send an angel, or an archangel. He's coming to the air to receive us for himself, and then we as we have that reception in the air, He's going to lead us higher and higher and higher past the world of the stars, past the world of the planets, past the world of the sparrows in the air until we get into heaven itself to the Father's house. Brothers and sisters, what a... What a journey lies before us to meet the Lord. You know that this man recently, didn't he put a rocket up into space? And people paid millions of pounds to take that journey into sea outer space. We're going to be beyond space. We're going to be in heaven itself. My friend at home, one of my friends, He was sitting alone with his dying mother in the hospital. Others had gone home. She was all wired up. And as soon as she breathed her last, the alarm went off. But he knew she was gone. And a little nurse, a male nurse it was, come running in when the alarm. When he heard the alarm. He said, shall we get the oxygen? My friend said, she's millions of miles away. She's beyond the stars. She's beyond the planets. She's in heaven itself with the Savior who died on Calvary's middle tree. And brothers and sisters, when the Lord comes, we're going to get there without dying. Reception, and then the question will be, do we know will we know each other in heaven? Do you think do you think you're going to see your father or your mother walking up the golden street, and you'll not know who it is or who she is? As the old preacher said, do you think we'll be less intelligent in heaven than we are on earth? Certainly, we'll know each other. And you know, I want to say more than that because I believe, I believe there'll be no strangers in heaven. There'll be no need for you know the wee badges you get when you go to these, you know. Oh, you're yeah, right. I've heard of you. Before. You're not need any wee badges. You'll know everyone that's there. Nobody, nobody will be a stranger, because we're all in the same family—the family that has been bought by the precious blood of Christ. And then, brothers and sisters, will we not will we not wonder when we look at the mansions of heaven? Will we not wonder? Is this what He left? for the manger. I know we think about it at Christmas time, but as we see the golden street and the rainbow circle thrown and the angels and the archangels and those that bow down in His holy presence, I think we'll appreciate what what He did in coming as we've never ever done before. To leave those scenes of Heaven and glory, to come down to a manger, the sorrow and shame. Oh, it was wonderful! Blessed be his name, coming for me, for me. And then, once we get over that initial kind of shock, we're going to join in that everlasting song. We talked about it a wee bit last week. It's going to be a new song. Let me tell you three things about Heaven's song, that new song, very, very quickly. The first thing about it is, it's going to be a unanimous song. Even the the ones with three croaky voices are are all going to join in 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 that unanimous song. You know, we had a man in our meeting at home and if the presenter started a hymn with a worldly tune, you know the way you can take a kind of a, the tune of a song and you can make it fit into a hymn. And if it ever happened like that, he wouldn't sing it. He, he, he kind of went in the huffs a wee bit and, and he, he wouldn't sing it. But I tell you, this brothers and sisters, it's going to be a unanimous song. Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, Amen. a unanimous song. And then it's going to be a unique song. A unique song. Why unique? Because the angels are not going to sing it. The angels can't sing it. I told you last week that there'd be no prayer in heaven. Well, well, there's no singing for angels of this song because, listen to it, the new song. They always sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. The angels can't sing that song. That's for you and me. It's a unique song. But you know what I love about it? Were well, you ever at a lovely meeting and you were enjoying the presence of the Lord and you felt you know, near to the Savior. And, and then somebody says, we're going to sing a closing hymn. And you say to yourself, I wish this could go on. Brothers and sisters, it's going to be an unending song. An unending song. There's no closing hymn. It's going to be forever that we sing His praise. The wonderful song of heaven at that reception. But then there's another strange thing: reward, <laughs> reward. I, I, I wondered about this. Could, is it possible that is it possible that he who died for me, he who suffered for me, agonies untold, can it be that he's actually going to reward me for something? than I did for him down here. Reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us shall give account of himself. Not if anybody. I not have to give account for you and you'll not have to give account for me. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The elders will give an account. Let me say to the younger men, never feel grieved if you're passed over for being an elder and you think you should have got it and somebody else got it or somebody else got a deacon and you thought you should have got it. never Never be grieved about that because I tell you, elders will have to give a special account of how they led the flock of which God put them in control. The elders will give account. And listen, listen. Husbands will give account. How you treated your wife. And wives, how you treated your husband. Was I a different man at home than I am up here? Every one of us shall give account. And listen, brothers and sisters will give account. Brothers and sisters, every one of us shall give account of himself to God at that day of reward. But listen, brothers and sisters, he's the best of masters. He's the best of masters. Somebody says somebody says, I never get a reward because I really never did anything. In fact I was a failure. And I regret mistakes that I have made. and I never get a reward. Do you know what I believe? I believe everybody will get a reward just because you had the courage to take Christ as your Savior and to be a witness for Him in an ungodly world. I believe there will be a reward for everyone. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Somebody says, what about my faults and failures? See, it's not just you down there that have faults and failures. It's a man up here as well. And I want to tell you something that will encourage you. A dear young lady was being interviewed at home. Not in our church, thankfully, for baptism. Baptism. And I tell you, these were, you know, what we would call old school men that kind of interviewed her. They were kind of what we call old school. You know, they had very kind of strict and straight. And this old brother said to her, "Uh, have you had dealings with God? And she said, how how do you mean have, have I had dealings with God? He said, well, have you been saved? Have you been born again? And she said, oh yes, I had a definite experience when I repented of my sin and when I trusted Christ to be my Savior, I, I've been born again. And he said to her, well, are you a sinner? Are you still a sinner? I said, oh, oh, oh. yes, she said, I'm still a sinner, but um, but I'm now a saved Sinner. And he said to her, "Well, could you still be tempted? Oh yes," she said. "I think I could. I I could still. I could still be tempted. I'm still prone to failure. But listen, here's the point I want to come to, because this old man wasn't letting it go. You know, he was not letting it go. He, He was going to make sure that she was in the door before she got baptized." And he said to her, well, tell me then, tell me then, if you could still be tempted, what will you do when temptation comes to your door? What will you do when temptation comes to your door? And the young girl, the young lady said, she said, well, when temptation comes to my door, I'll let Jesus go to the door. (laughs) I'll let Jesus go to the door. Brothers and sisters, every one of us face temptations. The things that appeal to you that tempt you might not tempt me. And the things that tempt me might not tempt you because we're all different. But wouldn't it be wonderful when temptation comes to the door? that we might have grace to let the Lord Jesus go to the door and help us to overcome these things for his glory. Reward reward. There's an old hymn that we sing, Deeds of Merit, as we thought them, He will tell us where but sin. But little acts we had forgotten. He will show us where for him. And then there's Revelation. Revelation. When all that is finished, according to Revelation, the book of Revelation, he's going to mount that white horse and he's going to come back to earth this time, not to the air, but to the earth and to the Mount of Olives. You remember how He went into Jerusalem on a little colt, a little donkey? This time it's going to be on a white horse. And He's going to be a red in linen, white and clean. And on that linen and on His thigh is going to be the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And on that day of Revelation, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, He's going to assert His rights to reign Over all the earth. Brothers and sisters, isn't it a good thing that we're on the winning side? We're on the winning side. Revelation. One little story I want to share with you just as we finish, because in fact I might have told you it before, but if it did if it did, it's worth repeating. In the house where we lived there was was stairs up to the upper floor and then there was a little landing a little flat landing area and then there was a further little set of stairs up to the bedrooms. So you had stairs and then a flat and then you had the stairs downstairs. And when I had to go to bed as a boy I used to come down, tiptoe down to that little flat bit and kind of put my head around to hear what they were talking about, my father and mother and because I didn't want to be lonely up in the bed. And I just listened to what was going on. And one night I came down those stairs and sat down in the little landing and listening. And my father came in from a meeting. And I heard him telling my mom that Mr. Smith, Mr. Alex Smith, who was in the church. Mr. Alex Smith is going to India as a missionary. Three little boys, him and his wife going to India as a missionary. That's the first time I heard it on the landing of that little house. And when the day came, brothers and sisters, that Mr. Smith and his wife and family, three boys, we all went down to the docks, Belfast Harbour. And there was a crowd there from the church. They all sang a hymn. I don't remember what the hymn was. And as that big ship pulled out from Belfast docks, I remember this little man, Mr. Smith, standing gripping the rails just at the hind end of the ship as it slowly pulled out. And all of a sudden, he put his hands up to his mouth and he started shouting one word three times. Here's what he shouted Maranatha! 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 And I was just, you know, I was just a boy. In fact, my first reaction was that he was Kenneth kind of beginning to speak Indian. <laughs> that this was an Indian word. And so when I get back into the car with my dad to go home, I said to him, Daddy, what was Mr. Smith sh- shouting about there from the, what was that Maranatha? Ah, he said, son, he said, it's just a little Bible word that just appears once in the Bible. And it just means the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Brothers and sisters, as you take your journey through the week, as you take your journey through the months until, if the Lord be not come, we meet again. Will you remember, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And He's coming soon to give us a reward that we never deserved because He loves us so. May we be faithful to Him until He comes again. May the Lord bless His Word, shall we pray. Father, we're thankful for these few mornings that we have had the privilege to spend together to be reminded of that precious blood and to be reminded of the Saviour who was singing and then was silent, and now this morning to be reminded that it's coming again. Lord would hate to be ashamed before Him at His coming because of our mistakes and failures. We pray that He'll keep us all pure. In this dark world of sin, we pray you'll keep us faithful, Lord, and going right on to the end until the Lord comes. What a day of rejoicing and reunion that will be. And all of our hearts this morning would say, even so come, Lord Jesus. We look and wait for his coming and pray your blessing upon all the dear people as we commit ourselves into your tender care until we meet again either on earth or in the air. We pray your blessing in the Saviour's name. Amen. <clears throat>